This is the Press Box. Being out there against the Nets, I realized that basketball is an impossible sport played by giants and gods. With Graney and Bischoff. Tweet it, talk it, put it in your pocket. I've made a flimsy take and I'm proud of it. On ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. It's Shout a Wednesday. Out to a similar Ed. time in America when all of us were captivated by the California. Well, oh, here we don't go yet. Not yet. <laughs> Are we going yet? Are we good? All right, we're good. Here we go, Ed, Tyler, <laughs> Danny. <laughs> I was going there, but uh, you were ready. I was Ed ready. Ed was ready. I was ready. I was the, ready for the show. The imaging was so, not. That's that's something new. <laughs> here at uh, seven oh one a.m. What's going on? Oh, I don't know. Not much. We're uh. Are we going to keep hating on the heat today? Is that going to happen? How about the, uh, t- well, hey, I, I love that, uh, well, one, people are listening. We know one person is. And two, <laughs> uh, we're getting tweets this morning about our heat on the our hate on the heat, which uh, will probably continue. I don't know. We'll get to it, but I don't know if it was much hate. I think we just kind of liked the Celtics, right? I, when I saw I'll the hate, it. I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll embrace it as saying you embrace I hate the hate. I'll I'll embrace it and say I hate on the heat. I'm perfectly okay with that because I still I, I'm still going to hate on the heat today. It's still going to happen. All right. Well, I can't wait for that, and we'll get more tweets about it. Here we go. <laughs> the first bite. Who will be the Golden Knights' next head coach? Is it this Ricard Gronberg guy? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> you have a Ryan. choice right now: John Tortorella or Ricard Gronberg. Oh, is it, what am I hiring the guy for? For my personal entertainment or to make the Golden Knights good? Uh, the former, for your personal entertainment. Oh, I think it, the decision's it's Tortorella. Easy. Yeah. It's Tortorella. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There, I don't think there's anybody better than that. No. If, if it's, Although that if was it's a nice Barry me, Trotz uh, intro, there, intro there with the... Uh, yeah, with the, uh, ex-wives. Ex-wives. <laughs> they are, yeah. Don't, don't have turnovers. They're like ex-wives. It'd be expensive. Um... So okay, let's let's start with Barry Trotz here. He is, according to Elliot Friedman, he is interviewing for the Winnipeg job, and I think this is an interesting question to ask. If you're the Golden Knights right now, or at least from our perspective, from the fan base perspective, we've kind of viewed it as well. Well, yeah, the Golden Knights can hire Barry Trotz or whoever they want, but. Do you think there's any reason Barry Trotz might not want the coaching job in Las I Vegas? I don't know. I don't know Barry Trotz, but I'm saying if you're looking at rosters and ability to win and, you know, if the Golden Knights are healthy, if you want the better team other than Winnipeg, wouldn't you think you want to call from Vegas or to reach out to Vegas before you would do something like take Winnipeg? I would reach out to Vegas or wait for them to reach out to you and see what the the deal is here, right? I mean, if I want to win right away. Yeah, I think it's it really comes down to like is your number one priority to go go win a Stanley Cup? Yeah. Because I I guess we'll see what happens after the second round of the playoffs and beyond. But I doubt that there's going to be a team with a vacancy that is in a better spot to win the Stanley Cup next year than the Golden Knights. Right. It just it most likely won't happen. It could. Somebody something surprising could happen here with the teams that are still playing, but most likely the Golden Knights are going to have the best job in terms of the roster can win the Stanley Cup. And if that's your priority, Vegas should be number one on any coach that's out there on their list. But I do wonder, has there been enough that has happened with this organization that a coach, maybe Barry Trotz, looks at it and says, you know, yeah, you guys might be able to win the Stanley Cup, but I'm not that interested in working for you. I'm not in, that interested in working in Vegas because we've seen Pete DeBoer had to deal with salary cap issues. Like, 
before this past season, when they had so many injuries, you go back to the year before, they played a game with 15 skaters against the Colorado Avalanche. Mm -hmm. Like the biggest game of the regular season two years ago, they played with 15 skaters because the front office is always, always trying to manipulate the salary cap. And that's been going on for two straight years now. It's probably not going to change next year because they're they're over the salary cap already. So they're going to have to do something. And so I do wonder if there's enough where you see, oh, the Dodonov trade. Oh, the way they traded Flurry. Oh, they fired Gallant and DeBoer like two and a half years in, despite both of them having pretty good levels of success. I do wonder if there's a, a chance that somebody like Barry Trotz would say, you know, we could probably win, but I don't want to put up with everything that goes on in Vegas, so I'm going to pass. I still th- well, if you're Barry Trotz and you have all the leverage here with all these teams, I get the best deal I can. So maybe you make them overpay for you uh, if they would be willing to do that. Um, I still think each coach, he already won a Stanley Cup. He knows how that feels. I think every coach thinks he can be the different one. Yeah. Um, I think it's like, well, it's not going to happen with me. I'm Barry Trotz, and they want me, and I'm going to get this huge deal from them. Um, I do think if he called Gallant and DeBoer, he would find out that management uh, likes to have a say in a lot of things. I guess that's the <laughs> nicest way to put it. Your rundown here says meddling. Um, I think if he'd call both of them, he would understand that the people above him have won a lot of say in everything, and, and, and more so than most managers. Um, so, again, that might not bother Barry Trotz. He might say, that's fine. You can say what you want, and I'm the coach. I'm going to do what I want anyway. Um, I don't know him well enough to know that. But you always think you can be the difference. You always think you can be, well, that happened with Gerard and Pete, but it's not going to happen with me. So if your goal, like you said, is to win the Stanley Cup, then if you can get the Golden Knights job, you take the Golden Knights job. This So this question kind of goes back to something we talked about earlier in the week. Remember, we talked about, you know, are the Golden Knights hated and by most other fan bases, they are. But what we don't really know is, like, what do other front offices, or in this case, what do other coaches think about the Golden Knights? And I would be very curious to know if Barry Trotz or any potential coaching candidate called Gerard Gallant, called Pete DeBoer, and just said, hey, what's it like working there? Wouldn't you think I, they'd have to? I Well, I wonder, I, mean, they I, wonder, I wonder what Gallant and DeBoer would say. Like, would they ultimately give a positive... Like, yeah, you you absolutely should want to take this job. Or would it be, yeah, you might win and they'll pay you enough, but be careful. Like, I wonder how Gallant and DeBoer would phrase that because these are two coach Gallant and DeBoer have coached at other jobs. So it's not like this is the only experience. So I wonder how much they'd point to it and say, yeah, there's some problems, but every team has some problems. You'll be fine. Or, wow, there's some real problems there and you should avoid it. Like, I, well, I just wonder what kind of recommendations. I think the periphery stuff – you know, a place to live, the roster in terms of talent, um, you know, all how it fully treats the organization, you know, which is, you know, it's been written and talked about, you know, time and again in terms of first class. He spares no money in terms of, you know, taking care of his team. I think all that would be good. I'll go back to, though, I do think you have a front office that let's, likes to have a say in everything. And if you think you can overcome that and have a daily, you know, uh, issue, not issue, but you have a daily input from management and you think they I can get I can deal with that then I don't think it's much of a deal I don't think it's much of a problem I mean I think yeah. Pete and 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 Gerard Gallant would have more positives to say than negatives but the one negative is look this is management that now has a third coach in six seasons something's going on here in terms of how they perceive what their coach should be there's one other part about Barry Trotz that we've heard twice now both Ryan uh, told us yesterday and when we had Ken from Senbin on um 
do you believe this idea here that they shouldn't hire Barry Trotz because he's defense first and that might not fit the roster that it might they might run into similar problems where it's it's too similar to Pete DeBoer and not uh, different enough that uh, okay it's a new voice but you might be doing a lot of the same things yeah. and it might not actually lead to a cup do you buy into that at all I mean I might buy into the fact that the roster's maybe not set up for him but DeBoer still went to a couple you know conference finals playing the way he plays and I'll go yeah. back to what I told Ryan you know, a lot of people said, and I think Ken said as well, what would the fan base think? The fan base just wants to win, especially after this year. So you get 18,000 there in year and you win 3-2, they're going to go away happy. They just want, Fans just want to win. Um, and I think I also think in this town you still have a lot of periphery hockey fans in terms of really, really knowing hockey. Uh, so they're just going to want their team to win. Um, now you're going to have some hardcore people who know hockey and might say, well, you know, they play defensively. I don't like how they play. I don't like winning 2-1. to one. But I think the majority still in Vegas are, are again, kind of hockey fans, but I don't know how much, you know, they deeply know the game, and they just want to win games. Um, you know how he plays. Look, if you know how he plays and you don't want that style, then don't hire him. But if you think he's the best guy and you think he can get you the Stanley Cup final, then hire the guy if you can get him. I just wonder, when, when Kelly McCrimmon gives his press conference and he doesn't say a whole lot, but he does say that they wanted a, a new voice or a different voice to lead the team, does he just mean a different voice or does he mean like a different style? Like, are they looking and saying, we need a different approach from the coaching staff and Pete DeBoer doesn't fit exactly what this roster is good at and we need to find somebody that does I do wonder how much that goes into their coaching search. How yeah. much do they look at their roster and say, this roster is built to play this way? We need to hire a coach that already plays that way instead of this this roster is built to play one way and we hired a coach that doesn't exactly normally coach that way and we got to try to make a way to fit together. I, I do wonder how much that matters or are they simply saying, hey, who's the Barry Trotz is the best coach out there we want to go get Barry Trotz regardless of the roster fit. Yeah, I think you make a good point there on the overall look at the roster. Um, I still think if they believe Barry Trotz can get him to a Stanley Cup final, they should talk to him first. But you make a good point there. I mean, wh what does a voice mean? I mean, I think Pete DeBoer's voice, you never heard anything from players that the voice was wrong. I mean, or, or no. bad. We, we talked to players after the season, and, you know, hey, he's a really good coach. He's a really good guy. Um, McCrimmon said that often. So... What is a voice? Someone who can fire guys up, someone who can motivate them in different ways, or like you said, is the voice, hey, you're going to play a different style. I don't know. I, I don't know what McCrimmon meant completely by a new voice. Um, I just know he moved on from the coach because he didn't like the one he had. Do you remember the Gerard Gallant quote a couple of years ago when he was like, what do you want me to do, run in the locker room with pom-poms and fire him up? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think They Gerard need to hire that guy. That. They need to hire the guy with pom-poms that runs in the locker room. I don't know if up. that's very trots. That might that's what, be that's Ricard Gronberg. <laughs> they need the pom-pom guy. That's what they've been missing this whole time. They just have well, the pom-pom guy. They'd I'll be tell you what, go. Tortorella would be a voice. I just don't know what kind. <laughs> he, he'd have a different kind of voice. <laughs> All right, coming up next, we'll jump into the NBA as the Miami Heat took down the Boston Celtics in Game 1. This is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. All right, Ed, are you, are you backtracking off the Miami Heat after they beat the Celtics in Game 1? Backtracking off that I don't think they're going to win the series? Yep. No, I don't think they're going to win the series. Oh, okay. The no. hate is still the alive. Hate is still, the hate is still alive. Is still alive. 
He is um, still alive. All right. I, I need to talk about the third quarter of that game because Miami outscored Boston 39-14. to They started the third quarter on a 22-2 to run. Boston actually won every other quarter. Yeah. They only lost yeah. one quarter of the game last night. It was a big and, one. But they got they got blown out yeah. in the third quarter, 39-14. to In that quarter, Boston had eight turnovers. The Heat blocked five shots. Boston shot 0 of 7 from 3. And Boston shot 2 of 8 in the paint. That third quarter was like watching a varsity basketball team scrimmage against the JV. Like, Miami was just physically dominant and just toyed with them in the third quarter it it genuinely blew me away because we had just seen two quarters of jason tatum playing really well and the first two quarters was kind of how i thought the series would go like pretty well played but the celtics are a little bit better tatum's a little bit better but i don't know what happened in that third quarter but it was like all of a sudden the boston celtics uh all became five foot ten, one hundred and seven pound eighth graders. <laughs> I do not understand. They got completely embarrassed for a quarter, and like the, the fourth quarter was fine. Like they they played fine in the fourth quarter. Like they, I don't understand what happened there. But the Miami Heat just crushed them for an entire quarter. Bad halftime adjustments. <sighs> they said we won. The, we I won guess. the first two quarters. Now we're gonna we're gonna skate through this thing. They showed up and and the third and just got run out. Were you surprised? You talk about the physicality. Were you surprised they were that much more physical? I think they blocked eleven total, which I don't know if they're going to do that again. Uh, but blocking five shots in the in the third quarter, uh, that they won the physical battle that much. I know Horford and others are missing right now. But are you surprised uh, that they were that physical? Twelve total blocks. Twelve shots total blocks. Game. Okay. And and Jimmy Butler and Gabe Vincent had six of those. Like. Bam Adebayo had four, but like they got Butler and Gabe Vincent blocking shots on a regular basis in that game. Uh, yes, and I do think that's that's the you mentioned the starters. They're without Al Horford and Marcus Smart last night. Al Horford mm-hmm. was in the health and safety protocols. Smart has a foot injury. I don't know when those two will be back, but that might simply be the key here because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown had some bad moments. They they were embarrassed in that third quarter they were physically overmatched in that third quarter but like there were plays where jimmy butler just took the ball from peyton pritchard and peyton yeah. pritchard's yeah. not playing that many minutes and he shot like what did he take 14 shots yeah. yesterday he's he got a little shots. too caught Jesus. up in the game seven against milwaukee like, like peyton pritchard's not taking 16 shots if marcus smart is back and marcus smart right. is playing right the amount of minutes he's supposed to play so i think that might be the key is they get smart and Horford back for game two. If they do, I think we we see a completely different outcome. And as far as physicality and everything goes, Marcus Smart's going to go a long way to help fix that. So I think that will have a lot to do with how physically overmatched Boston looked for a quarter of that game is if, oh, Peyton Pritchard's off the floor and Marcus Smart's in instead. You see a few times Jimmy Butler and Peyton Pritchard, he didn't even have to block it. He Peyton Pritchard went up for his shots and, and, and Jimmy Butler just took the ball. That was weird. Just took it. I mean, he just took it from over I, his head. It was like strange. Like, he didn't even have to block as, it. Were those counted as blocks or steals? If you just I take hope they're the ball steals because he didn't have to block it. He just took his two hands just took the ball from him. Uh, they should be counted as steals. Is Jimmy Butler somebody we've we've disrespected too much or ignored too much? Uh, ignored more than disrespected because I think we both okay. thought he was really good. I don't think we've disrespected he, Jimmy Butler and saying had, he's not any good. 
He had 41 last night. He now has three 40-point games in the postseason. I think it's six 30-point games as well. But he had 41 points. He did not make a three. He was 12 of 19 from the floor and 17 of 18 on free throws. Yeah. And in that third quarter and the fourth quarter, too, it felt like any time Boston did anything, right, they'd, they'd make a couple shots in a row and they'd start to get the lead back. All of a sudden, Jimmy Butler was at the free throw line. Mm-hmm. And just two points and kills off anything that Boston, any comeback that Boston had uh, brewing. And I, my big question going forward is, is Jimmy Butler going to get those calls from the referees? Is he going to get 18 free throws I don't a game? Think and it's not. No, I don't think he's getting 18 free throws. And it's not that I think the refs like made a bunch of bad calls. No. He got fouled last night. Right. I'm just very curious to see if, if that is something that can continue. Because 18 is a lot. But even if he gets 13, 14 the yeah. rest of the way, that that's Miami probably wins the series if he keeps shooting that many free throws. And that's what I'm curious, curious to see. We saw it with Joel Embiid, right? Started off the regular season, drew a bunch of fouls. Started off the postseason going to the free throw line. And then all of a sudden in that Toronto series, Joel Embiid stopped getting free throws. And they started losing games. And then they played Miami. And he didn't get nearly as many free throws. I don't know that Jimmy Butler is going to be attempting 10-plus no. free throws every game. And even he's been great. But you're not getting 41 points on 19 shots unless you also get 18 free yes, throws. Right. So the efficiency right. is not going to be quite the same if he gets – seven or eight free throw attempts instead of 18. And I'm sure the Celtics will be in the rest ears. They'll be in the rest ears about how many he had last time. And Did anybody know. take the fine out? Did Udoka or anybody take the fine saying, hey, the refs uh, screwed us? You got to At one point, you got to take the fine in the series to get the refs to give you a good game. Right. I don't think anybody did last night, no, at least I not that I no, saw. No, but they will going forward because they're not going to let that guy shoot 18 free throws again. <laughs> I don't think so. They're going to say something as they should. Well, like you said, if he keeps showing – because he doesn't miss free throws. So he keeps getting 18 free throws. They might win, and we're going to have to eat a little crow. Well, if Peyton Pritchard's got to play 30 minutes well. a game, he might. He might get to play <laughs> that. And by the way, so no Marcus Smart, no Al Horford. I did not know who Aaron Neesmith was until last night. I had no idea who Aaron Neesmith was, but he played like 10 or 12 minutes last night. Might have made three of the worst plays I've ever seen. He fouled Jimmy Butler with 0.8 seconds left in the third quarter to give him two of those free throws. He, at one point, uh, had a had back-to-back possessions where on offense, the Celtics actually had a good possession, kicked the ball out to him for an open three. For some reason, he stepped in so that his feet were on the line, and then Jimmy Butler blocked his <laughs> shot. And then on the other end, he's trying to get back and just runs through a guy shooting a three. I thought Neesmith, I thought Neesmith also made a three. Uh, he was 0 for 3 in that game. Okay. Did not make right. a shot. Okay. But he just I heard his barreled through a guy. Yeah, because he wasn't playing very well. That's <laughs> exactly. why. Guy sh- I, don't, I don't remember who for, for Miami was shooting the 3, but he just ran through him. This wasn't like, a, oh, he clipped him on the arm trying to contest a shot, or, oh, it was a landing zone foul. He just ran through the guy shooting a 3. And that all happened like within 10 seconds. And I'm like, what? who is this? Why? He can't be on the floor. You've got to have somebody better, but... Maybe they don't because they're too. Does hurt. that tell us that uh, Boston can't win this thing without Horford and Smart? If, if they're both out for the rest of the series, yeah, I, I don't think they can. I, I would be shocked if they could, just because Tatum's good, Jalen Brown's good, but this is a this is a matchup on two teams that have like good depth. These are two teams that have like seven, eight good players on the floor, uh, and Boston, if they've got to play Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard so much and they don't get smart in Horford, 
that takes a big nosedive because we've talked about it. Miami's over here bringing Victor Oladipo yeah. off the bench yeah. for 15 minutes. And Oladipo, I don't even think it was that good last night. But, like, Oladipo was, like, the best player on a team that I think got, like, the five seed yep. a couple years ago in Indiana. And now he's like, yeah, we'll throw him out for 15 minutes a night. Yeah, that'll be fine. Like, Miami's deep. Miami's, like, a good team. And if Boston has two starters out for an entire series, yeah, I don't, I don't think the Celtics can actually win it. Can we bag on Jimmy Butler and say Tatum's still the best player in the series? I think so. Okay. I mean, if if you stopped watching at halftime, Jason yeah, Tatum exactly. was, the was the best player in the, in the game. I mean, Butler completely dominated him after halftime. But for a half, I mean, both of them were good. Tatum was better in the first half. So I still expect that from Tatum, but it might be closer than we let on yesterday when we both picked Tatum as the – Should we? the real question is should we change our pick from best player left in the postseason from Tatum to Luka now? I'm going to still say no. Okay, we're not going to overreact. No, we're not overreacting. Come on. Here come the the tweets from the Dallas fans. Where's Danny Uh Webster when we need him? Uh oh. Dallas. (laughs) Does Dallas can't feel disrespected though? Dallas is not supposed to be here. Dallas is going to like the Heat. What they did to the Suns? How can they feel disrespected? But the Mavericks have just got to be like, hey, it's great to be here, everybody. We didn't think we'd be here. This Luca guy's great, isn't he? So that's what that's what they should be feeling today. So we, we get game one of the West tonight. Uh, Warriors and Mavericks. I, uh, I I think I'm more excited to watch these two teams play. Uh, by the way, are we going to get a close game in the playoffs? Is that going to happen anytime soon? I think we're going to get some close games in the West. Um, I I think I picked the Warriors tonight because I think it's hard to come back from that Game Seven blowout uh, mentally. I, I just think it's been too, it's been too close of a, a couple, what's been a couple days. So Warriors have been resting. I like the Warriors tonight, but I do think that thing could go like six. I think that I think Dallas is we I don't know if we gave Dallas enough credit, but I, I would pick the Warriors tonight. We got two game sevens, both were blowouts, and now game one of the conference finals, also a blowout. Eh, it's like ten, I guess, but still a blowout. Like, can we get a close game? That's that's all I want. I don't really care who wins. Just give me one that comes down to the last thirty seconds, not right. one that's just, right. like I can go walk my dog with eight minutes left. I don't want to do that. I want to watch the last eight minutes, minutes left. You were walking your dog in the third last night. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is over. They're down 24 somehow. How the hell did that happen? All right, coming up next, Ben Coach joins the show. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Ben Goats. Good morning, Ben. You haven't been hacked by any more NFT accounts, have you? Not that I'm aware of, but I do have some really good tokens that I think you guys would be really interested off the air if you want to discuss that later. Just some great stuff. Crypto, I don't know if you guys have read the news. Doing great. Very safe investment. Obviously, just put as much money as you can in it right now. All right. Who's the next head coach of the Golden Knights? Give us a name. (laughs) Well, I think... Like, you got to start with the obvious ones. Barry Trotz obviously makes a lot of sense if he doesn't, you know, go back to his hometown in Winnipeg. Uh, I think it's hard to uh, watch Rick Pocket on the TNT pregame show last night and not think that he's going to get uh, considered. Uh, the thing that at least is working in the night's favor is there are just about a ton, a half dozen of experienced veteran coaches that have experienced some level of success. Uh, in this league have made deep playoff runs before. 
So at the very least, if they chose to move on from a coach with also a very successful uh, track record, they at least have options at their disposal. And it'll be really interesting to see exactly what path they go down, who they think qualifies as kind of that quote-unquote fresh voice uh, that this team needs. It's going to be a really interesting, I think, indicator of what direction they want this team to go in next season. We asked this question before you came on. What in the world does fresh voice mean? Does that mean just a guy to fire people up in the locker room and and motivate different ways? Does that mean style of play? Does it mean all of it? What did you uh, perceive from McCrimmon's uh, continuing uh, comments about we need a new voice? Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's a hockey cliche, right? That happens a lot when these coaches get fired. I mean, Lou Amarillo basically used the exact same words when he fired Barry Trotz which was then very funny because that quote-unquote fresh voice was a guy that was literally standing next to Barry Trotz the past four years and his assistant, Lane Lambert, who got hired a couple days ago. Um, What fresh voice usually means for me in terms of hockey is that you just want a new message or you want the message delivered in a different way because, you know, guys after a while might start to get worn down by a certain particular coach, Pete DeBoer, obviously is a guy who emphasizes a lot of defensive structure, asks players to play with a lot of detail in their game. Those who have attended practices at City National Arena know one of the night's most common drills is basically we're all going to skate into the zone and everyone's going to stop at their four-check positions. We're literally going to all skate into the zone and stop, and then I'm going to blow the whistle, and then we're all going to, like, go into our next four check positions and we're going to do this at extreme slow motion walk through this, you know, very carefully, you know, it's not exactly a thrilling way to go about practicing hockey. And so I think a lot of times when you hear the fresh voice thing, it's just a manager saying we need to change it up, get some sort of different energy in the building. That's what the players need right now. I think they would have said the same thing when they I don't remember exactly the wording they use, but it just kind of happens in this sport a lot, and it's the cliche that's given because outside of John Cooper in Tampa, uh, it is absolutely insane how fast coaches kind of get cycled through in this league. When Gerard Gallant was fired, despite the fact that he was two and a half years into his tenure, he was the longest tenured coach in the Pacific Division. And I haven't done the math, but I bet Pete DeBoer, after only lasting two and a half years, was similar so these coaches just go through so fast and so i think at this point gms have just made it a habit of like whenever things are looking a little sideways changing the coach is the easiest thing to do do you think if barry trotz or any potential candidate called gerard gallant or pete DeBoer and asked for hey what do you think about the job in vegas does DeBoer and Gallant, do they give a glowing recommendation or do they give a, hey, you might want to stay away from that recommendation? I think more of the former. I think, obviously, I think there were some bitter feelings with Gerard Gallant with how his exit was handled with the fact that Pete DeBoer was obviously named coach in the same press release that he was fired. So I don't think he loved that. But I think for the most part, he enjoyed his tenure with the team. And Pete DeBoer, I think, obviously probably had his frustrations with the job. But I think his exit interview uh, with the media, you know, May 3rd, a couple days after the season ended, kind of revealed his true thoughts, which was, look, there are only so many places you can realistically expect to compete for Stanley Cup. 
this is one of them. This is one of the spots where the owner will spend money, will spend to the cap. Now, you can obviously debate whether the Knights are spending to the cap <laughs> wisely, but there are some teams that don't do that at all, obviously. Uh, so I think that is at least enough of a selling point where they're like, look, like, be cautious. Like, There's going to be some traps, some mines, some pitfalls. There's going to be some days where maybe for an important game that might decide the president's trophy, you're going to have to dress 15 <laughs> skaters because that's just what our cap is like. Uh, but I think you know ultimately where Pete DeBoer seemed to fall on that was that is a first-world problem. I will take that level of first-world problem in this job over maybe some other jobs that he has had in the past. Uh, I'm guessing you know, Florida might have come to mind for him, especially you know, a couple years ago, of like where you've got half-empty buildings, you're not spending even close to the amount of money you can spend. There's a lot that this job still has going for it, even though there are a lot of nuances that aren't necessarily ideal. Uh, talked about this the last few days about style of play, and everyone talks about trot, trots defensively, 3-2, two, 2-1. Two, um, we made the point, look, if you win, fans will be fine, especially after this year. They just want to win again, playoffs, make a run at a Stanley Cup. Do you buy into that? Like, if he came and ran the style he plays with this roster, and I don't even know how possible it is with this roster, but they won, and it was just kind of the way he wins, do you think fans would care as long as they're winning? No, I think the wins would make everything better. Wins typically do. I also think, you know, we have to be a little bit cautious when discussing, like, that Barry Trust would bring, like, Islanders hockey to Vegas. I mean, that's a very different roster than the one the Knights have. And as any good coach, I think he would adapt his style to the way that the team is built. I think a lot of people are focusing on what he did with that Islanders team, which is obviously very intensely structured defensive hockey. It's like what Pete DeBoer brought to the Knights, dialed up uh, to 11 to make a spinal tap reference. But before that, he was playing or coaching in Washington with, you know, noted, famous, everyone's greatest two-way presence in Alex Ovechkin. And he made that work, too. So I think it's easy to get caught up in. Hey, here's what he did in his last stop. But he's played with some very highly skilled forwards previously in Washington and obviously had a lot of success. So I also think it's worth pointing out that I don't think you would quite see the intense devotion to, you know, the defensive slog style of hockey that he had with the Islanders. I think he would likely, if he got the job, be willing to open it up at least a little bit more, a smidgen more, just like he did it in Washington. So I don't think it would necessarily be kind of make your eyes bleed kind of hockey if Barry Trotz ended up getting the job. But we'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll be wrong, and maybe he thinks that's the way you got to go through the playoff gauntlet. A little bit of a hypothetical here, but when Kelly McCrimmon says they're a month away from knowing a timeline on Robin Leonard, it sort of throws up a red flag as to, well, when he when is he actually going to be available? If they find out at some point this offseason that Robin Leonard's not going to be available to start the season and maybe he's out for a month or two months or three months into the year, can they go into next year with Logan Thompson and Laurent Brossois as their top two goalies and expect to win enough to stay contenders? It's a fantastic question. Uh, I will tell you, I talked to Logan Thompson two days ago from Finland. He sure thinks so. He thinks that he showed <laughs> in that last 20-game stretch that he you know, has what it takes to be a starting NHL goaltender. But I think it's pretty clear to say that is a sizable risk for any team that will presumably re-enter 
uh, next season with Stanley Cup contender aspirations to take, to be a second-year goalie, a career backup, and having those guys as basically your kind of only options in net, considering you've got Yuri Patera uh, in the AHL, who put up decent but not great numbers, and then Isaiah Seville, who came from Nebraska-Omaha and only played, you know, about eight, I think, professional games at the end of last year. You don't have a safety net in that case until Robin Leonard would get healthy. So I would think if you're the Knights, you at least have to explore potentially other options at that point. Now, we'll see. George McPhee, when he did appear on uh, the Bob McCallum podcast last week, hinted that he thought Robin Leonard would be ready for training camp. So maybe, you know, McCrimmon was just being less forthcoming or didn't want to necessarily offer more specifics because Leonard has dealt with shoulder problems before, and so they want to be a little bit more cautious with the timeline. But we'll see how they figure out that whole picture in net is obviously especially going to be fascinating uh, this offseason and to see whether they can somehow finagle their way to keep uh, those three goaltenders just to give themselves some added insurance at that position, given all the games Robin Leonard missed last year and given all the games Laurent Brassois missed last year as well. Mark Stone apparently going to have back surgery. Um, he's 30. It's back surgery. Is there a chance that we never see Mark Stone as Mark Stone again? I mean, I think you certainly have to consider that possibility because um, the big thing, obviously, with Mark Stone's game, the reason why he was a sixth-round pick that then surprised everyone to become the effective two-way NHL player he was is his skating. His skating was not considered NHL quality. He obviously improved it enough where he can more than hang at the NHL level when he was at uh, his peak. But you have to wonder, you're starting with a guy who's already not the fleetest of foot. If this back surgery saps some of that as well, how is that going to affect his play and how is that going to affect his ability to potentially keep up with some of his teammates that play for the Knights? Would he be able to keep up with a Jack Eichel if this surgery saps some of his speed? Would he be able to kind of play the style that the Knights, I think, want to play, which is fast, aggressive, physical? That's what they were all talking about in their exit meetings as a you know style of play that they wanted and an identity that they felt they got away from last year. Does that then fit uh, Mark Stone if this surgery hampers him in any sort of way. Uh, I know Kelly McCrimmon was trying to spin it as like a positive of they found a kind of solution to Mark Stone's back injury. But anytime you're talking about a back surgery, especially to a guy who, you know, his physical, you know, gifts just in terms of the straight line speed, um, you know, are not the greatest. What makes Mark Stone so good is his hockey IQ, his ability to pick out pucks and his kind of vision and playmaking. You know, that's a concern. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how he looks in training camp, if he indeed is ready for training camp, as they would expect, if he does indeed get this surgery, and how he kind of looks on the ice, because obviously that probably more than anything is the biggest question mark for the Knights entering next season is, is your captain going to be as good as your captain was? Again, because that's a key part of this team returning to the kind of elite team status that they're hoping to. All right, Ben, I cashed out my 401k and put it all into crypto today. I hope things go well for me. It's going to be fantastic. No regrets, clearly. <laughs> Don't look at the news. Do not read the news. 
He's Ben Goats from the Review Journal. Ben, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Ben. No problem. Awesome. So there is Ben on the Golden Knights and another fun offseason. They have yet to have a boring offseason. They're no, always fun. They do things uh, uh, crazy. Yep. Coming up next, we'll jump into the NBA Draft Lottery. But first, we've got tickets to give away. Pussifier is coming to Las Vegas at the Reynolds Hall at the Smith Center on June 9th. And if you want a pair of tickets to go see Pussifier, be caller number 7 at 702-364-1100. 702-364-1100. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. The NBA draft lottery happened last night, and the Orlando Magic won the lottery. The Thunder will pick second. The Rockets are going to pick third. The only uh, jump was the Sacramento Kings jumped from seven up to fourth. Uh, but otherwise, the teams with the best odds, they, they don't give the worst team the best odds. It's like the top three or the worst three have the same odds. Uh, but Sacramento made the only real notable jump last night. Um, Ed? Would you draft Chet Holmgren number one overall? It's a tough one. I might take Paula Benchero. Oh, So ESPN yesterday, they were hyping up that there's a big three. Chet Holmgren, Paolo Benchero, and Jabari Parker, the kid from Auburn, uh, which, okay, that sounds fine. I would absolutely draft Chet Holmgren number one overall, even though I think next year Parker and Ben Caro are probably both going to be better. I think Chet Holmgren has more of the superstar potential than anybody really? else simply because he is seven feet tall. He can dribble at an at least acceptable level and he can shoot threes. Like there, there is a chance that Chet Holmgren is a star in this league, a seven footer that can shoot. Now he might also just simply end up being Chris Stapp's Porzingis, which is a useful, but great player. But I think he's got the best possibility just based on his size and his ability to shoot, that he could be a star in the NBA, much more so than Parker and Ben Carroll. He needs some pasta. He does. He he needs to not weigh 75 pounds. Uh, That would be helpful. But, you know, Kevin Durant hasn't exactly put on a ton of weight. Kevin Durant couldn't bench press anything coming out of Texas. And Kevin Durant's been great as well. But I think there, there is more chance that Chet is that good or that guy than anybody else in this draft. So I would take him simply because of that. All right. Well, he, I mean, the skill set translates. Um, I think Parker and Bancaro will be good as well. Uh, you know who else uh, we haven't talked about? Maybe he gets uh, uh, shipped out to Sacramento is um, Jaden Hardy. Oh, yes. Top, uh, they the, say he's top five pick, uh, the brother of. Yeah, potential. Uh, a potential UNLV running rebel. Yeah. And Jaden Hardy <laughs> didn't didn't actually follow that didn't his brother. Work, that didn't work out. But a potential yeah. top five pick. That there are a few potentials. Yeah, there there were there were. But yes, Hardy could be. Um, it'll be a it'll be an interesting draft. But I I think I would take Chet number one mm. just because of that. Now, I did not know this. Field Yates tweeted this out yesterday. Apparently, in 1947 to 1958, so for a little more than a decade. The NFL kind of sort of did a draft lottery. They would just put all the teams in the league, regardless of where you finished, put all the team's names in a hat, and then pull out a piece of paper with a team's name on it. And that team picked first overall. And and then the first round started. So, like, you could conceivably end up with the first and the second pick if you were the worst team in the league. So 
they did like a bonus number one overall pick. So somebody would get two first round picks every year and that bonus one, number one overall. So you could have the best team in the league get the number one overall pick. I think that is hilariously stupid. But God, do I want to see? Oh, that I want to see NFL. it. Can you see the chaos this year? If the <laughs> if the Rams will pick first, the I mean, can you have seen that? That would be absolutely what great TV that would be. Not that they don't get great TV for the draft, but can you imagine the TV they would get to, for all the teams? You know, the good teams because teams thinking we're not going to pick very high, but we might have a chance at this. That would be oh. chaos. Oh, it'd be incredible. It'd be great. I'd, it'd be, be great it'd be TV. Very it'd be hilarious. Stupid unbelievably well, stupid dumb, but who to cares actually about that? do that. But God, it would be fun. Because like you say the Rams, there's like five or six teams, like the Bills, the Chiefs, the Packers. Packers. Like if any of those teams got the number one pick, people would be looking at saying, what the hell? Oh, like <laughs> it would be incredible if that happened. And I want it to be the same way where it's just pieces of paper crumpled up in a hat and they just pull out a name. Like, don't give me this technology with ping pong balls no, and envelopes. No. Just piece of paper. Can you and see hats. some guy? His job ten minutes before the draft is to get out a piece of notebook paper and cut it up in little strips. <laughs> write every team and write every team, write every team down, and like fold it over because it has to be the exact same size. Goodell goes out there and puts his hand in the hat and like picks the team. I would also oh. want you have the ability to trade this your name in the hat. Like you can you can trade away your chance at the first overall pick for a player, like earlier oh, okay. in the year. So like so like some teams could have their name in the hat multiple times because they, whatever, traded away a player and got another team's one in thirty two chance at getting the first overall pick. Well, we God, know they have great. we know they have enough hats at that thing. Yeah. So they could just pick one of the hats and throw all those <laughs> like there a little a baseball cap G- Goodell like, to put in or yeah. a trash bag, little what little would... uh, brown trash lunch bag. Oh. God. Were they all this dumb in the 40s and 50s? At least it was fun.